in the bourbon capital of the world, several strange events have occurred. Let's get to the bottom of it. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews Podcast, and tonight we bring you the strange tales from Bardstown, Kentucky. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement, fresh off of Turkey Day. (laughs) We are coming to you live. Well, not really. You won't hear it live. Well, I'm live. We're live. Oh, oh, I'm still alive, yeah. Pearl Jam. We have a new... I love Pearl Jam. Patreon patron. They're so underrated. They are underrated. I saw... The light? (laughs) I saw them live, and I didn't know this, but... Because we left as soon as it was over. But if you wait around at a Pearl Jam concert for like 15 minutes, they start selling CDs of the concert you just heard. Sweet. That would have been amazing. Yes. But no, hell no. I was stoned out of my gourd. Oh, there you go. It was back when I was smoking pot. And you was a smoking and a token? Yeah. Well, we have a new patron, and his name is Blake Sorter. I hope it's a he. We have a new patron named Blake Sorter from... Splendora, Texas, the great state of Texas, at our $3 sticker tier. Blake, by the time you hear this... Steer tier? Sticker tier. The stars at night are big and bright, deep Deep in the the heart of Texas. We love Texas. Oh, dude. If you ever go to Austin, wait the four hours to get you some Franklin barbecue. Good God in heaven. It is the greatest meat of all time. Blake, you should be receiving your stickers... Actually, you should have received your stickers way before you hear this episode, but thank you for your patronage. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why they call it Patreon? Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Oh. All right, so be we would like to thank our listener from the great state of Kentucky, Mr. Heater, uh, for gifting us a bottle of 1792 foolproof bourbon, as well as... Cliff Jumper India Pale Ale from Country Boy Brewing Company. They are located in Kentucky. Imagine, son of a bench. Imagine that. Georgetown, Kentucky. And Heater, we just want you to know that we will be contacting you because we are hey, down. Do you smell burnt popcorn or am I having a stroke? No, it smells okay, like burnt popcorn. Okay, great, because I was fucking worried for just like literally... Two seconds. I was like, "Hopefully that's not electrical." <laughs> no, I literally thought I was having a stroke. Okay, good. I'm glad you're not. Me too. But I mean, uh, you never know. Heater did reach out to us and say that he had sent us some of what we just talked about, but somehow he is sending it from Kentucky to Georgia, and the package was somewhere in Santa Clarita, California, when he looked at it. So, who knows? It did arrive at my humble abode looking like a pipe bomb with all the stamps on the package, but there was not the postmaster general there to uh, arrest me, so we dodged that bullet. But thank (laughs) you, Heater, for your support. 
if you like if you send alcohol through the United States post office, that is a felony. 100%. If you f- do it through FedEx or UPS, if they find it, they'll just destroy it. But they don't allow it either. I know this because I used to brew beer and I used to send a bunch to like brewing competitions. And then, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. They find it, it's gone. But USPS, that's a felony. Yeah, and if the if you ever are waiting on one and a guy that does not look like your normal <laughs> mail delivery person <laughs> says, are you expecting a package for your name at this address? You say, mm-mm, nope. Nah, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even have an address. <laughs> that's not even my name. <laughs> that's not my name. I don't have an address. And deuces. Yep. All right, so... We are jumping into the wild and weird happenings. Yeah, this is probably going to be in multiple episodes because it's just crazy. Everything that's happened in Bardstown, Kentucky. This was supposed to be about Crystal Rogers, but... It morphed quickly. It morphed quickly into, well, we got to start from the beginning. Yeah, we do. So Bardstown is known as the bourbon capital of the world. Rand McNally voted it the most beautiful small town in America. The population is just under 14,000, but a turn of events has made this sleepy little Kentucky town more infamous than famous. Between 2013 and 2016, Bargetown, Kentucky has seen four murders go unsolved, and some believe they are all connected. Maybe. We are going to start this grisly tale off with Mr. Jason Scott Ellis. He was born on September 22nd, 1979, and was the only son to Pam and Charles, or also known as Denny Ellis. He grew up in Batavia, Ohio, and had two sisters, Lacey and Kelly. Jason was a standout in baseball at Glen S. High School, where he was first-team All-City in 1998 and also won Player of the Year for the Queen City Conference. Good for him, man. That's pretty cool. He attended the University of the Cumberlands, located in Williamsburg, Kentucky, on a baseball scholarship. It was here that he would meet his wife, Amy Phillips. The pair would be engaged during Christmas of 2002 and would marry in October of 2004. Jason was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds and played for the minor league team, the Billings Mustangs. That's my favorite minor league team. Just before Jason and Amy got married. That's not true. It's Chattanooga lookout. He had decided that he wanted a family more than he wanted to pursue his professional baseball career. So just two weeks after playing his last professional baseball game, the couple gave birth to their first son, Hunter. Now, Hunter was born with Down syndrome, and Jason decided that he would pursue a career in law enforcement. The family decided to move to Amy's hometown of Bardstown, Kentucky. And it is here where the couple would welcome their second child, Parker. Jason would join the Bardstown, Kentucky Police Department in 2006. So let's fast forward to May 24th of 2013. Let's do it. Let's get it, man. Hop in the time traveling (laughs) machine. Jason, now a seven-year veteran of the police department, had plans for the upcoming Memorial Day weekend. Jason had won Officer of the Year in 2008 and was now a canine officer, which just happened to be the only one in Bardstown. 
On this Friday, Jason's canine partner, Figo, was at home with the family due to Jason's canine unit being in the shop for repairs. Jason was out patrolling in an everyday police cruiser with one small missing piece of equipment, a front-mounted dash cam. Doesn't sound like much, but it's going to come into play later. Maybe. Around 2 a.m., Jason informs dispatch that he is off for the night and heads south down Stephen Foster Avenue. Then he heads on the overpass, which takes him to the Bluegrass Parkway. This is the same route he takes every night he heads home from work. Roughly 10 minutes pass, and Jason arrives at his exit, exit 34. The exit ramp is just a couple of minutes from his home. The night ends with him climbing into bed around 2.30 in the morning, and the next day Jason begins his shift at roughly 3.52 p.m. by radioing dispatch 139 on duty. Just after 5.30 p.m., Jason arrives at Dean Watts Park to watch his youngest son, Parker, play t-ball. Now, Amy recalls that Jason seemed anxious when he arrived, and before the two can talk, Jason is called away on a domestic violence call. Jason finishes up the call, and he attempts to make it back to watch the end of the game, but as he arrives, he sees everyone is packing up and leaving. He tells Amy he will see her at home and heads back out to another call. Around 11 p.m., he is dispatched to a drunken, disorderly man by the name of Joseph William Hamilton. No. Come on, Joseph. Well, old Joseph only has one arm. (laughs) Okay. But he is drunk to the point of being hostile and somehow has suffered a head wound during his drunken stupor. I just, I, I don't know if you know this, but just because you have one arm, as long as you have one liver, you can get drunk. Yeah. It don't matter how many arms you got. <laughs> I don't even know why you brought that up. <laughs> now, young Joseph is bleeding when Jason arrives, and Jason calls EMS. He's like, well, I thought this was America. I can't bleed. I'm not allowed to bleed. Before Jason can even get out of the parking lot, EMS is calling him on the radio, stating that Joseph Hamilton is still conscious, still drunk, and is trying to fight the EMS workers, trying to take him to the hospital. So he turns around and assists EMS, restrains the one-armed bandit. I thought this was Merck. I can just pick. I, I know it. Merck. I, I, I can get drunk. I, I can drunk and bleed. <laughs> so I don't know why it's cracking me up. So I can uh, drink and bleed, damn it. <laughs> Ellis accompanies EMS to the hospital. To make sure that he doesn't bleed anymore. Beats the shit out of somebody, I guess. Oh, hell no. He is there at the hospital to receive care for his head wound. If you get your ass whooped by a one-armed drunk man, you probably deserve to get your ass whooped. By a two-armed man. No, I'm just saying. like, He's drunk, and he has one arm. And he whooped your ass. You have so much on top. Uh, you have so much of a... Uh, upper hand? Upper hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have your mental faculties and two arms. You're unbeatable at this point. <laughs> so as Jason is trying to park his police cruiser, the EMS is wheeling Joseph into the hospital. So as Jason enters the hospital, he witnesses... Joseph 
beating the piss out of a security guard. <laughs> and and you're in your security guard. Your job is to secure. Like, you can't, you, you just can't lose to this guy. So Joseph, Shame on you. Joseph Hamilton, upon seeing Jason walk back in, immediately has a shit fit and threatens to kill Jason in a very explicit and graphic nature. Well, yeah. It, it didn't go into it. Fucking Probably, if I had to guess. Like, damn. So Jason brushes the threats off as just this drunken piece of poopy. Well, you say stupid shit when you're drunk. Yeah, I agree. It's very nice of him to just be like, hey, he's dumb. Yeah, and drunk. He's drunk. And bleeding. He doesn't mean that he really wants the skull fuck. <laughs> That's right. But he's just talking at this point. So they patch the old skull up. <laughs> and Jason escorts Joseph Hamilton to the Nelson County Jail. And for those of you that are not paying attention, Nelson County? That's mm. where Bartstown's at. Oh, okay. So, so it was the county jail. So not the city jail. No. Did they have a city jail? I don't think they did. I don't like jail. It sucks. I bet it does. I've been in there. Those guys are assholes. You call them fucker, they'll let you right out. They of don't tell you when you get there that they're all going to be assholes, but I assure you, they let you know soon after. <laughs> so they get Joseph Hamilton booked, and Jason is back in his patrol car, heading down Stephen Foster Avenue on his way home, the same route he drives Every night. Er day. Er day. Er day. Amy, his wife, Hunter and Parker, his two sons, and Figo, his canine partner, all <laughs> await him at home. Figo? That's a weird name. Well, it's a German Shepherd. I have a dog named Todd. So what am I? Who am I to judge? So he's roughly 20, 20-something minutes away from home. Uh-huh. So he takes exit 34 that leads towards his home. And as he exits the freeway, he starts slowing down because something is in the middle of the road. Yeah, this is very weird and very fucking sad. The something is a mass of tree limbs, branches, and debris, which isn't an odd thing to see on a rural wooded exit ramp. It's just odd to be in the middle of the lane. No, yeah, somebody fucking put it there on purpose. Yes, what purpose? Unfortunately, you're about to find out. So as Jason exits his car to Take begin, it away, Arlo. As Jason exits his right now, don't car to begin clearing no, the limbs. You gotta tell him. <laughs> the night is pierced oh, with gunfire. It's terrible. Jason is shot with a shotgun from someone oh. on a nearby ledge that is overlooking the road. Man, shotguns. Jason had stepped into an ambush and is shot three times with a mixture of bird shot and buck shot. Once in the chest, once in the abdomen, and then once... So meaning they had alternating shells or it was some sort of shell that had both? Alternating shells. Okay. Yeah, bird shot ain't no joke, but buck shot, it will kill you. That last shot hit him in the right arm and head area. And within minutes, unfortunately, Jason Ellis is dead. That, is, that sucks so bad. Executed by someone that planned this attack well ahead of time. Yeah, and I would say that it wasn't random either. I think they pacific, specifically 
targeted him. Yes, I agree. He was the target. He was the victim from the beginning, like yeah. from the get go. It wasn't just like, hey man, we're gonna do this. It's gonna be whoever fun. steps out. Whoever yeah, steps out. No. no, they yeah, they knew it was gonna be him. Yeah. So roughly ten or fifteen minutes pass, and a Toyota Corolla pulls up behind Jason's police car. The driver, a teenager, was trying to take two drunk family members home. <laughs> one of which is more than likely his mama, but it's just referred to as a female passenger. Let me tell you something: a Toyota Corolla will save your life in a rollover. I know this. For a fact, it would take a lick and keep on ticking, but that was a hell of a rollover. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm upside down. This is not good. <laughs> Woo! So the female passenger tells the driver to just pull up behind the police car and wait. Chad Monroe, a local man that worked at the nearby Heaven Hill Distillery, had just finished his work. I've been there, and it is amazing. This lady, our tour guide, she was like 65 maybe. And I never wanted to drink with that well, with another person more than her. She was like, well, what I do, because she was a Southern Belle, of course. She's like, what I like to do is when I get home is I wash my glass. And while it's still wet, I'll put it in the freezer for about 15 minutes. And I'll take myself a bath, and then once I'm done, I sit on my porch and I pour some room temperature bourbon into my cold glass. And I'm like, "What time you get off? Let's go. Let's fucking do this. Like, I let's Ray, yeah, lady. Like, let's go. You got another glass? Like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'm like." You have the right job, ma'am, because damn, I'm sold. <laughs> she was uh, she was awesome, though. So Chad Monroe had just left Heaven Hill, and he's headed home. He makes the turn on the exit 34 and pulls in behind the Corolla, which is behind Jason's police car. Now, this all is around 2.30, 2.35 a.m. Now, was Jason in the car? He, so he was out of the car when he was shot. Yes. God. So Chad decides to step out of his car, and he approaches the Toyota trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Man, I'm telling you, man, a shotgun is a terrible way to go. Now, the people inside the Corolla seem to have a no clue what's going on and tell him they've been sitting there for a couple of minutes. So Chad walks towards the police car and sees Jason lying on the ground in a pool of blood. He turns around, runs back to the Toyota, and tells the people inside to call the police. He runs back to Jason and begins searching for a pulse, hoping to administer CPR. No, not, not, not going to happen. No. So the woman inside the Corolla gets in Jason's police car and grabs his radio and begins talking to dispatch. Now, this whole conversation between the lady and dispatch is available on YouTube, and I suggest that you do yourself a favor and listen to it. So Jason's best friend, Officer Andrew Riley, is the first on the scene and initially thinks oh, that Jason... really? Had, That's fucking terrible. He initially thinks Jason's been run over by a car and sees what he believes to be gravel on Jason. Gravel? Hmm. Okay. It is not until he begins to unbutton Jason's shirt and look at his bulletproof vest that he realizes that it's... A mixture of shotgun shell ammunition. Oh, Jesus. 
So the community of Bard Bard so basically the the I'm assuming the bird shot was stopped by the vest. Yeah, that last shot that hit him in the arm kind of that those vests back then didn't have that coverage yeah. right there on the side and it went in between the two flaps and mm. just and then he was struck in the face too unfortunately. Well, those bulletproof vests are not bulletproof for lack of a better word. Like they help a lot. But man, there's so many different types of ammunition that can just pierce right through. Yeah. So the community is stunned and terrified at the same time. If this can happen to one of the town's best police officers, it's it it's hard to. I mean, how do you like have this happen and it not get solved? That that seems it seems so personal and so methodical that that. You would think that that people in the town would know that this guy had an enemy. Well, they said with him being the cop of the year back then that there was a life-size cutout of him at like a a diner somewhere, and his best friend always gave him crap about, look, dude, when I drive by there, that's just creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. So the owner of Arlene's Barbershop, Miss Arlene Durbin, stated, quote, Arlene owns Arlene's? I know that's That's crazy. Shocker. I never saw that coming. I know you didn't. Quote, what scares us, if they will kill a police officer, what's to stop them from killing anybody else? To think there's someone walking the streets that That cold-blooded and ruthless. That's a 100% valid fear. Questions start popping up. Popping. Popping. What would inspire someone to commit such a cold-blooded murder? An execution is what most people are saying. And if you would have asked Bardstown City Council member Tommy Reed, he'd tell you, quote, I believe it was a hit. Ellis was putting a dent into somebody's drug trade, and they finally got tired of it and put a hit on him. I think he was under surveillance, so they would know his routine, end quote. I mean, they had to. They had to. I mean. Just under 14,000 people live in the town. He's the only canine officer. Yeah. Like, for what happened to him, they definitely knew that he would be there. So, clocking his routine is definitely in the cards. Now, Authorities would have no leads to go off of, but based on information supposedly not released to the public, they made the hypothesis that this was a teamwork or a tandem hit, that someone was perched and someone saw him entering the the exit ramp. I mean, that makes sense because it'd be hard to pull off by yourself. Single-handedly, yeah. I mean... State Police Trooper Norman Chafin said in the early days of the investigation, quote, there are some indicators to us that would lead us to believe that there was more than one person, end quote. During one of his several press conferences about this crime, the Bardstown Police Chief told the media that the person or persons responsible for this ambush would have required, quote, a degree of tactical precision, end quote. His comments seemed to spark concerns that this might have been a crime committed by some with m- someone with military experience or something similar, a former soldier, a fellow cop, etc. This led to all kinds of wild gossip about this being a professional hit, but if so, that would lead to all kinds of other questions. The most glaring was who would kill Jason Ellis, who was 
by all accounts, a pillar of the community. Investigators looked into his personal life, searching for anything they could go with, but they found nothing. He didn't have any gambling debts. He had no personal vendettas, nothing. His private life was just as squeaky clean as his public image. Now, days after the shooting, a lead would come to the front of the investigation when it was announced that a letter had been received by the Bardstown police threatening violence against other officers. No details of this letter were released to the public, but it was announced that the FBI were contacted to help determine who sent and examine the letter. Analysts and agents examined the document and determined that it was likely not written by the actual killer. However, that did little to ease the tensions of the fellow officers and the local residents. It, would, it wouldn't ease my tension. I promise you that. Now, the first solid lead came when investigators learned of a group of men calling themselves the Bardstown Money Gang or the BMG. <laughs> okay. The BMG prided themselves on their illicit activities and nefarious ties to you criminal with, activities. You down with BMG? Yeah, now you know me. At least they did when a rap music video was created and uploaded to the intranet in October of 2013. Uh-huh. Now, keep in mind, Jason is the only canine officer. He is also one of Bardstown's most productive narcotics officers. But while he mostly dealt with small-time drug dealers, Jason also had some run-ins with the members of the BMG. Mm-hmm. In August of 2013, a teenage party was being held in a rural part of Nelson County. Keep in mind, Nelson County is the county in which Barstown sits. I am keeping that in mind. Good deal. At said party, a group of young guys started chanting BMG and Big Money Barstown Gang, and they began to attack the other members of the party, targeting the young women present. Uh, Real upstanding pieces oh yeah. of shit. <laughs> Officers with the Nelson County Sheriff's Department responded to the incident, arresting two suspects, but believing that there were many, many more of the BMG involved. During the arrest, one of the suspects began to taunt police officers with specific claims that the BMG was responsible for the murder of Jason Ellis. Hmm. That's not smart. No, it's not. They're going to look into that. One of the young ladies who was assaulted by these members of the BMG claimed that she was attacked by one particular suspect, a young 23-year-old man by the name of Brant Shekels. She claims that Brant was just one of the multiple attackers that she was personally kicked in the stomach and head by him. That's just, I mean, really? Yeah. You're going to kick a woman in the ear? That's fucked up. At the time, Brant was the 23-year-old nephew of... The Bardstown Mayor, Bill Shekels. Oh, shit. So yep. you're... So it was the son, you said? No, nephew. Nephew. So your nephew's in a gang and you're the mayor? Mm-mm. No, ain't good. Wainers on the glass at the Alano Club? No good. They out of control. As you can imagine... <laughs> This caused quite the backlash in the public. If you get that reference that offhand, we can be friends. The young lady <laughs> that alleged being assaulted by Brant also claimed that multiple members of the BMG had been chanting throughout their attack. In particular, they had been chanting that they were cop killers and were prepared to do 
even worse things what, to anyone that got in their what way. What kind of gang chants their name during their crimes? I mean, you don't see the Crips, 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 Crips. That's just dumb. Agreed. <laughs> Agree. MS-13, MS-13. No, they don't have to chant their name. Now, it seemed to many in the community that even if the BMG were full of hot air and BS... Hotter? Hotter. What's hotter? Hotter. Hotter. They were quickly becoming a problem in Bartstown. Yeah, well, Bourbon country got no room for gangs. After the attack at the party in August, Brant, along with four other members of the Bartstown money gang, were arrested. This was Brant's second arrest in two months and the second time he had publicly claimed credit on behalf of the BMG for the execution of Jason Ellis. Yeah, he's he's not smart. No. Nope. He shouldn't be. No, nope, he's not. Claiming. He's eating paint chips. I mean, even if it's true, you don't just be like, hey, man, we murdered that man. Yeah. Like, no. You're supposed to keep that quiet. <laughs> Now, Mayor Bill Shekels was already dealing with criticism on how he was running the office of mayor and now with his young nephew's criminal escapades on the front page of the newspaper. Give me bad publicity, boy. He was on the hot seat. Yeah, I don't understand why. He didn't do himself any favors when it took him several days to come out with a public statement, too. In his statement... He was unapologetic for his nephew's actions and seemed rather disinterested what? in protecting him. Well, I mean, it's good he's not trying to protect him, but Jesus. I know. You're going to want to get ahead of this. Like, he's causing trouble. As soon as he has been sniffed as a suspect, I'm out front saying, look, I never liked his. I never liked his. His mom. mama was an idiot. <laughs> now, yeah, you're right. I never even liked his. She mom. don't get invited to cookouts. I mean, you better not. <laughs> you better not. You better not. So Bill says, "quote You can pick your friends, but unfortunately, you can't always pick your relatives." I pick your nose, though. Yep. Anything that he does or anybody else named Shekels does. They don't get any special treatment. If they're guilty, they're guilty. They break the law, they break the law. Uh-huh. They suffer the punishment just like anyone else, end quote. Well, I mean, that's not a bad statement. It just needed to come quicker. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of people, I mean, us being from small town Georgia, I'm pretty sure we've seen some nepotism in our day. Just a tad. <laughs> so for him to come publicly say that, I, 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 I commend him. So the Bardstown Money Gang, in addition to the assault on the partygoers, were also tied to a series of assaults on the elderly oh, in Bardstown. Are you kidding me? Nope. The fucking elderly? What the elderly ever do except, like... Be elderly? Ruin the economy and <laughs> give bad job advice. Eventually, Brant <laughs> and the other members of the BMG... Listen... If y'all don't know, my mom passed recently, but man, when she was around, she had some of the worst, like, well, just call them, like, mom, you have not worked, <laughs> like, you have not been in a job search in 40 years. It don't work like this anymore. She's like, well, just ask them. Well, if you would just call them. <laughs> God rest her. I love that woman. She was a nice lady. She was, she was the best. So she had she was she had to be so tough to raise me. Ugh. Who would? No one. Would Saint Hood. 
Yeah, no one would volunteer for that job. No. no. <laughs> so Brant and the other members of the BMG were arrested in connection to the August party attack. They accepted a plea deal given to them by the Nelson, Nelson County Circuit Court District Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. Brant pleaded guilty to fourth-degree assault. Fourth degree? How many damn degrees of assault are there? Which is only a misdemeanor in the state of Kentucky. And what what is fourth degree assault? Here's the best one. And riot in the first degree, which is a class D felony. Riot? He caused a riot? These charges were a lot lighter than many had anticipated, especially since they were multiple eyewitnesses and the confessions of the gang members. Brant was eventually sentenced to four years in state prison. His two charges, four years for, quote, trying to incite a riot, end quote, and then an additional year for assaulting the teenagers at the party would run concurrently. Man, of all the charges I've ever wanted, inciting a riot is definitely at the top. I don't want the prison term. No, no. But I definitely want that on my record. (laughs) Many in Bardstown believe that he had been given a lenient sentence due to his uncle being the mayor. Accusations that then Mayor Bill Sheckles denies wholeheartedly. Four years for attempting to start a riot? That sounds pretty... Hefty? Hefty. That doesn't scream at... Nepotism? Nepotism to me. But what do I know? I don't... I haven't caused any riots, unfortunately. We might start one as soon as we leave here, though, buddy. Man, let's fucking, like, I, like <laughs> you could talk me into it. <laughs> I, oh, the possibilities. Yeah, man, I'm fucking tempted right now. Like, literally, I'm a law-abiding citizen, but, and you're like, man, let's go start a riot. Like, I'm down. I might do that. <laughs> so the other members of the Bardstown Money Gang charged were given similar sentences as well as nearly identical probationary terms, which were they would not be allowed to gather in larger groups for some time after their release and would be unable to associate themselves with the moniker BMG or Bargetown Money Gang. In July of 2014, more than a year after the killing of Jason took place, an inmate at the Louisville Corrections Facility was questioned. 33-year-old Danny Early had apparently threatened a guard by saying, quote, you'll be pushing up Daisy like Jason Ellis, that Bargetown cop that was killed, end quote. Man, that's not nice. Nope. That's insensitive. This threat followed Early's arrest for public intoxication, which had been marked by Early telling the arresting officer and officers something about Officer Ellis and the Cornbread Mafia. Cornbread? Okay. Now, in case you are unaware yeah. or unfamiliar with the Cornbread Mafia... I am... Ex- I don't think I could possibly be more unaware. It was the nickname given to a local Kentucky-centered drug empire that collapsed in the late 80s. Mm, really? While this was a very enticing lead, it ultimately Corn- panned... Why would they call them... I don't cornbread? know. But, like, you know, as far as quote-unquote mafias go... Man, you don't fuck with Southern mafias. Like, Dixie, State Line, you just don't. Like, I don't have any ill things to say about any of those organizations. No. <laughs> like, but yeah, you want to think that, oh, we're just a bunch of hicks down here? Bullshit. They'll kill your ass. With coat hangers and cinder blocks. Yeah. Don't fuck with them. No. Now, like I said, this was a very enticing lead, but it panned out to be a dead end. 
Police just didn't believe that Danny Early had any significant information about Jason Ellis. Most likely, he was just a piece of shit that had heard some things and wanted to get some prison cred, given the opportunity. Man, dude, I would definitely sing to the... If I'm in prison, I won't tell them anything they want to hear. Just as long... Man, just get something different. You get me a cheeseburger, I'll tell you where Jimmy Hoffa is. Which, speaking of which, they're looking for him. They're not going to find him. Mm. They're going. They may find bone fragments, but they ain't going to oh, find I him. Oh, I mean, like, yeah. But they, they're looking. Oh, they yeah. got a lead. Yeah. Oh, he. If he hadn't been killed, I think he'd have showed up by now. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure the mafia got him. I don't know though. That's an alleged. Allegedly. Yeah, we just went over what mafias do, and you're over there. I I said allegedly. Thank you. I Thank mean, you. Thank I, I can't not. While the opinions expressed in this <laughs> podcast. I, can, <laughs> I cannot, nor will I try to prove that. I'm just saying I think the man's dead. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know who killed him. I definitely don't think the mafia no, did it. No, no. But I just don't think he's walking around anymore. Now, Major Jeremy <laughs> Thompson of the Kentucky State Police oversaw the investigation up until 2018 when he accepted a new position in the office of U.S. Attorney Russell Coleman. Speaking to the media, Major Thompson stated that the lead investigators had been unable to confirm major aspects of Jason's case, such as whether or not he was actually the target. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Uh-huh. He was the target. Yes, I believe that in my heart. Now, his comment hinted at the possibility of there being major gaps in the investigation, such as a potential motive for the unknown culprit. Because of that, it remains possible that Jason was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Again, I don't believe that for a minute. Major Thompson also stated that investigators had received and investigated tips from all over the nation. These tips included everything from Officer Ellis preparing to turn in a dirty cop to him preparing to bust a local burglary ring. That's hard to say. To him being prepared to take down a local drug empire, a la the Cornbread Mafia. All of these tips have failed to produce any real evidence. In 2017, Kentucky State Police brought back two retired detectives to focus on Jason's case full-time. However, even though Jason's case was their main objective, they soon found themselves digging into another unsolved case in Bardstown. So by the spring of 2014, roughly one year had passed since the murder of Jason Ellis. Throughout Bardstown, every new stranger was a suspect along with the most of the town's undesirables. Unfortunately, Bardstown would again make headlines and not the good type either. Kathy Harden was born on September the 7th, 1965, in Shelbyville, Kentucky, which is just about an hour north of Bargetown. Kathy spent most of her early life working towards her education. She would obtain her master's degree in vocational rehabilitation and family studies from the University of Kentucky, and then she found her calling, completing another master's degree in special education from Campbellsville University. Kathy would become a special education teacher who spent seven years at Bardstown Elementary School working primarily with fifth graders. Kathy loved her work and participated in many extracurricular events such as volunteering and donating to the Special Olympics. The principal of Bardstown Elementary School, Paul Bowling, recalled that, quote, Kathy was an energetic teacher. She put a lot of energy into helping her kids and was very passionate about what she did, end quote. In addition to being a hardworking special education teacher, 
Kathy was also a devoted wife, mother, and Christian. She attended Parkway Baptist Church every Sunday along with her husband of many years, Robert Netherland, and their two daughters, two daughters, Holly and Samantha. Tragically, Kathy's relationship with Robert was cut short in July of 2013 when he died of colon cancer. Robert's passing was hard on everyone in the family. Holly, the oldest daughter, was preparing for her sophomore year at a university approximately two hours away when her father passed away. The youngest daughter, Samantha Netherland, was just 16 years old and a sophomore at Bardstown High School when her father passed. She was one of the best students in her class, a member of multiple clubs and organizations, including the academic team, women in science, the adventure club, the young leaders program, and she even sang in the school's honor choir. Samantha had recently been accepted into the Gatton Academy program, which is an affiliate of Western Kentucky University. It was an early college entrance program which required good grades and plenty of extracurricular activities. In addition to being a great student, Samantha was also a pretty regular teenager who loved hanging out with friends, playing video games, and headbanging to 80s hair metal. Her older sister, Holly, recalls that Samantha could identify each Def Leppard song by the opening guitar riffs. I mean, who can't? Okay, so I saw a thing. If you air drum with both hands to Def Leppard songs, you're an asshole. (laughs) That's terrible. But good for him to, like, fucking lose his arm and still be able to figure that shit out and drum in a fucking rock band. I'm not a huge Def Leppard fan, to be honest with you. I'm just not a big fan. But have you seen the the movie The Dirt on Netflix about Motley Crue? Woo, buddy. They lived a life, my friend. Well, I knew that. They mainlined Jack. (sighs) Yeah. Like, Nikki Six. Fuck, that's a life. Yeah. So on the morning of Tuesday, April 22nd, 2014. 14. 14? 2014. 2014. 2014, both Kathy and Samantha failed to show up to school. It wasn't until Bardstown Elementary and Bardstown High School began to communicate with one another until that they realized how odd this was. Samantha was a very punctual student, and Kathy was never late without a phone call. For her to be absent entirely without a phone call, something had to be terribly wrong. So school officials began reaching out to the family members, eventually getting in contact with Kathy's father, Norris Harden. They asked if he could go check in on Kathy and Samantha and make sure everything was all right. So Norris drives to his daughter's home at 5120 Springfield Road, just outside of Bardstown in a small suburb named Botland. When he pulled up, he notices that Kathy's car was still in the driveway, indicating that both she and Samantha had to be inside. Not giving it much thought, he enters the home and unfortunately discovers the body of both his daughter and granddaughter. He leaves the home and calls police. Now, Stacy Hibbard, Kathy's sister, arrives at her sister's house to find cop cars lining the street and police tape wrapped around the entire house. She found her father in distress and recalled at a press conference that he just looked at her blankly and said, quote, they're gone and somebody did something terrible to them, end quote. This murder would send shockwaves through Bardstown because it had only been roughly a year since the ambush murder of Jason Ellis. Ashley Smith, the co-owner of the 150 Quick Stop, which is located about a 
half a mile from the Netherlands home, told a local reporter, quote, it's very unsettling, especially in this community. You've got a lot of good, honest, hardworking people around here. You just don't hear of this kind of thing happening. You just don't, end quote. The person hit hardest by this news of Kathy and Samantha's murder now was the only surviving member of the family, Holly. In less than a year, Holly, who was just 19 years old, had lost her father to cancer and now her mother and sister in a senseless, brutal murder. Speaking to the press, Holly stated, quote, On April 22nd, I received a phone call that shattered my life. My mother and my sister were dead. The first thought that ran through my head was, God, you can't take them. You took my daddy. You can't have them, too, end quote. Now, the investigation into the murders of Kathy and Samantha Netherland was overseen by the Kentucky State Police, who had been tasked with the investigation into Officer Jason Ellis's death for the past 11 months. From the beginning, police believed that the crime had unfolded at around sunset on April 21, 2014. This theory put the murder at around 8 p.m. on Monday evening, which was right around the time that it would have been getting dark. Now, the death certificates for both Kathy and Samantha were released approximately two months after the murders in June of 2014 and revealed that the two had been the victims of a horrific attack. Kathy had been shot multiple times, but police never released the extent of the location of the gunshots, the type of gun or ammunition used. The death certificate did reveal that Kathy had a deep cut to her neck. Really? Yeah. 16-year-old Samantha seemed to have been the primary target Tired to get. You know, you. you I, I do great with big words, and Target just throws well, me Well, it's like you've been talking for hours, so it's okay to mess up okay, every once you. in a while. Thank you. I'm not going to give you a hard time. No, time. no. Never. No. Not today. So Samantha was the primary target. Prior to her death, she had been beaten severely and had suffered serious wounds to her head. Her cause of death seemed to be a significant slash to her neck. Ugh. It was believed that the mother and daughter had been in separate rooms when they were attacked. This would lead some to theorize that there might have been multiple attackers. The reason given for more than one attacker was because each crime was so violent, it seemed impossible for one culprit to have behind, been behind both. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to make a lot of noise. It's going to, it's yeah, I can get that. So maybe they coordinated their attack and they started at the exact same time or very soon or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you would expect if it was one killer that they would be probably in the same room because they would, you know, one would react to the what was going on. Now, as for a motive, it was anybody's best guess. Nothing of value seemed to be missing from the home. No prescription drugs, jewelry, or electronics were noted as being missing. Well, I mean... It's hard to say that exactly because it's missing. How? What if they? Yeah, did, and they're the only two living at the home. Yeah, what if they didn't know it was there? Right. The older sister's yeah. out at college. The husband is yeah. no longer there, so nobody really knows. I agree with you. This led investigators to believe that the two murders were personal just, in nature. I mean, I'm just saying, like, just because it wasn't ransacked, right? Yeah, they can't just be like, oh, well, they didn't take anything. You don't know, right? Maybe they took very specific things. And you just don't know that they were even there. Now, detectives also theorized that the murders happened very quickly, possibly as short as just 10 or so minutes. The killer or killers likely planned ahead of time, arrived at the house, committed the murders, and left all in under 15 minutes. One of the only leads that investigators would release to the public was a vehicle seen leaving the area at the time they believed the murders took place. 
this vehicle was one of three caught by witnesses and security cameras heading north towards Bardstown from Botland. Remember, Botland's just that small little suburb north of the, I mean, south of the city. Yeah, that's, I, I knew that. Of course. I now mean, I n- would never forget that. Police quickly identified two of the three vehicles within a couple of days. The remaining unidentified vehicle was a newer 2006 to 2013 model black Chevy Impala. This vehicle had been caught by security cameras leaving the area shortly after 8 p.m. We gotta stop. We have to stop. Because I can't hear Impala without stop, drop, shut them down, open up, chop. Oh, no. Say, 20 inch blades on the Impala. Caller, getting laid tonight. That's like like eight different songs. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm fucking talking about, but gonna be a. Baller, that's the one. Shot caller, 20-inch blaze on the Impala. Caller getting laid tonight. So the vehicle had been <laughs> spotted. <laughs> by security cameras shortly after 8 p.m. You don't miss a beat. All right, back to it. <laughs> when police believe the unknown killer or killers were leaving the crime scene. Uh, thanks, coach. Appreciate check, it. Check. I'm over here jamming out to you. Check back in in 10 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> now, this vehicle had also been spotted by witnesses that lived in the Netherlands neighborhood, a nearby convenience Wait, store. Wait, they lived in the Netherlands? Yes. Like Holland? Yes. We have jumped from Kentucky to Holland. Oh, wow. This is Pay a, attention, this son. Is a, this is a very complicated case. <laughs> a nearby convenience store security camera would provide authorities with a couple of images of the car. These images would be released to the press in hopes of someone coming forward. Jeff Gregory, a Kentucky State Police trooper... They're not going to come backwards. I agree. You have to come forward. ...stated that police were not able to make out the vehicle's license plate, and this was due to the angle of which it was driving and the capabilities of the security camera. The only thing I know for sure is that the angle of the dangle is is proportionate to the heat of the beat. (laughs) Beat? (laughs) Yeah. What What do you mean? What were you going to say? He did, however, reveal some information about the black Impala. Quote, the vehicle does not appear to have a chrome strip or a rear spoiler and may have a small antenna mounted above the center of the rear rim shield. Why get an Impala if you're not going to have a rear spoiler? Come on, people. At the time. It's called style. The windows did not appear to be tinted. We still believe that if we can find that car, we can solve this case. End quote. There has been very little information released publicly about the case, which have led to many online theories and rumors. Yeah, that'll happen. Now, one lead was brought forth by a web sleuther named Muy Curioso. That's my friend. I know that guy. This user has been combing through the social media pages of both Kathy and Samantha and discovered an incident that Kathy detailed in a New Year's Eve Facebook post just four or so months before the murder. Was she vague booking or did she give details? Details. Oh. It details a bizarre incident she had while at home with both Holly and Samantha. Holly being home for the holidays would explain her being present at the home in question. Yeah. Now, the post that she put on Facebook reads, quote, Earlier this afternoon, we heard a noise. I thought one of our two cats had knocked something over. Damn cats. They, they do that. Just to be asses. Yeah, my cat does that a lot. 
We didn't find anything disturbed, so we thought it was nothing. Boy, were we wrong. A little while ago, Holly opens our front door to go outside to pick up the mail and finds both glass panes in our door shattered. We how do you hear, how do you not, if, if glass shattering is a very distinct sound, it's an amazing, I love the sound, but how do you, I we just know. heard something. You hear glass breaking. Yeah. And you know automatically, okay, that was glass breaking. Yeah. Like, who, who breaks glass and you don't automatically know? That it was glass. We have taken. No, I want to know. Answer me. I don't me. know. Dude. Answer me right now. If we knew this, we could solve it. <laughs> we have taken pics, and I have carefully removed loose pieces of glass and the glass frames. All the shattered glass pieces have been swept up off the front porch. Guess I'll be heading to Lowe's tomorrow to find replacements. Crazy how unexpected I events happen. I don't went to the Home Depot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> End quote. This post seemed to detail how both glass plane. Panes, panes, not planes, on the front door had simultaneously shattered for an undetermined reason. Mm-hmm. Immediately, Facebook friends of Kathy began to explain that there might be more nefarious reasons for the glass breaking, but she seemed to brush them all. <laughs> she says, quote, I don't think it was foul play. There was no rock or anything like that on the porch. There wasn't any damage to the wood door panes either. God, that, like, hearing that sucks so bad since you know what happened to these people. Like, God, it's like, thank woman, please. Yeah, she goes on to say, there were window clings that said Merry Christmas, but I don't think anyone in the area would be bothered by that. I think it was a fluke wind that caught the door and broke the window. Which End is, quote. That's po- I mean, it's, it, that, what she's saying is is still possible. It could be that these two events are completely unrelated, but jeez. Now, Knowing Ka- what we know? Yeah. Ooh, that sucks. Kathy's hunch was that a rogue gust of wind was the culprit behind the shattered glass. She seemed to double down on that in another response when asked about a potential cause. Quote, we're not sure. I think it was latched, and the wind must have caught it. The door frame is fine, but the glass in both the top and bottom panes were shattered. Glass was all over the porch, end quote. Come on, lady. Now, the web sleuther, Muy Curioso, thought that it was an interesting lead and decided to follow up on it and actually examined the weather patterns for the area and discovered that there were no reported gusts of wind on December 31st, 2013. In fact, in the Bardstown area, the recorded wind patterns were actually well below the monthly average, making it a mildly windy day as compared to normal late December dates. Okay, that, that's kind of, that's too much. <laughs> Even if it was a rogue, calm down, buddy. <laughs> even if it was a rogue gust of wind, it remains highly unlikely that it would have been strong enough to have slammed the door hard enough to break both panes of glass. If you've ever tried to break glass, you'll know that those panes don't break so easily indoors. Freak accidents do occur, but those glass panes are usually designed to withstand a decent amount of force. In the Web Sleuth forum. Users also pointed out that Kathy had taken a picture of her front door on Christmas Day to highlight her Christmas decorations. Well, good for her. I mean, of course you want to show those off. In the photo, you could clearly see that the glass panes were intact and the wooden molding around the door appeared to be intact. If you can find the crime scene photos online, they show significant damage 
to the wood paneling just outside the front door. This may indicate how the suspects were able to make entry into the home. Some have theorized that the glass being broke served two purposes. One, it would allow easier access to the actual door, and two, if observed from a distance, it would allow the perpetrators to judge the reaction time of the women inside. Now, in the Oxygen Network docuseries surrounding the Bardstown murders, reporter Stephanie Bauer spoke with an anonymous prison inmate that claimed that Kathy and Samantha were killed as part of a gang initiation, stating... Not that freaking BMG or whatever. No, 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 no. Quote, well... Don't I, give me that shit. No, it's not I, the BMG. I ain't buying it. Quote... I don't want... No. Quote... No. Quote, I don't want it. Quote, quote. <laughs> quote, well, I know they was tortured. I know that they were tied to the chairs. I know that one of them had her throat slit. They were stabbed and one was shot. I know that trinkets were taken as trophies, end quote. He also claimed that a cell phone jammer had been used, quote, to kill all the signal in the house. The rest of the information appeared to be details that were already publicly known, with one exception, the location of the chairs inside the home. That seems to be the tantalizing detail that no one knew. Investigators involved with the case will not confirm or deny any of the allegations, and it is unknown whether or not a gang would have had members being initiated while using a jammer. Keep in mind that police have stated numerous times that there seemed to be nothing of importance missing from the home, but like you pointed out, Coach, they just don't know. I made a point? Yeah, it was great. Good for me. All right. Got one. (laughs) (laughs) To make matters worse, just like small towns do, the residents of Bargetown began to speculate that Holly herself was responsible for her mom and sister's murders. The local rumor mill was that Holly was trying to obtain insurance money following her father's death, which had been paid out less than a year prior. Anyone who has seen any type of true crime show read a true crime book, or listen to our podcast, know that investigators always start with the family and friends and rule them out first and then work outwards. Of course. Holly was undoubtedly investigated by the Kentucky State Police who looked for any kind of incentive or motive. They found nothing and have stated that there is no evidence that Holly or anyone she knew had anything to do with the double murder. To try and put rumors to bed, she donated her entire inheritance around $50,000 to the reward fund for information leading to an arrest. The reward fund, which started at around $2,500, rocketed to $50,000 in the following months, fueled primarily by Holly and her family, who began referring to the reward fund as Holly's inheritance. Hmm. In the years since the murders, Holly has been married and tried to move on with her life, but remains hopeful that answers can be found for her mother and sister. Investigators' only real clue seemed to be that black Chevy Impala caught leaving the scene. Screenshots... Where's Blaine on the Impala? Call again, Blaine tonight. Screenshots of that vehicle <laughs> had produced dozens, if not hundreds of tits... Tits? <laughs> <laughs> Best in the bills. Wait a minute. There's hundreds of tits because I signed me up. I love tits. If you need me to look at them. I ain't ever seen a pair I didn't like. Touch them. I'm I'm down with it. Oh, Lord. It's been a long day. Like, we can't go any further. It's just going to go in. No, I mean, though I love 
and appreciate my homosexual friends. How can you just not love tits? I mean, they're nice. They're so nice. They're like, some of them are pointed. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. They come in all shapes and sizes. I'm a tip fan. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> but So, screenshots of that vehicle have produced <laughs> dozens, if not hundreds, of tips. But none of these led to any viable leads. Oh, my God. There were roughly 20,000 vehicles that matched the vehicle's description in the state of Kentucky alone and with the states of Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois so close by, the possibilities were endless. We clearly are having two different episodes. In our heads? No, yeah. I mean, I'm not on the same page as you, but I appreciate the fact that you just keep on trucking. <laughs> I love it. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we will stop with this first installment. God, we got to stop now. I can't even say words. No. Of our Bardstown series is what it's going to wind up being. So we have discussed Officer Jason Ellis, the untimely and brutal slayings of both Kathy and Samantha Netherland. And we will pick up with the most famous of cases next time. So, getting into recommendations, I'm going to recommend that if you have been living under a rock and have not heard of anything going on in Bardstown, please check out, if you are capable of doing so, the Oxygen Network of Crystal Rogers, and they get into every case, and that'll give you a little bit of insight on where we are headed with this series. We want to thank Heater, for his donations to the uh, beer fridge and that lovely bottle that we will be sampling next time. But for recommendations, Coach, what do you have? Uh, I don't really have anything. I have be nice? Mm, no, fuck that. Okay, just be an uh, ass. Be old and be an ass. Use your turn signal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it first here, boys. The recommendation is use your turn signal. Well, Coach, you got anything else? Oh, you know I don't. Oh, okay. Well, with that, deuces.